Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it! Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hey guys, it's Albert. Week 16 is in the books, and we've got a great show for you this week. We're talking lots of Cowboys, and we've got a special guest in to break all of that down. We've got my takeaways for the week, and as always, we'll wrap things up with all your questions in the mailbag. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's the MMQB Podcast with Albert Breer. We got a loaded show for you here, day before Christmas. Week 16's in the books. We're actually recording this on Monday, so... Just as a warning, we don't got anything on Vikings-Packers for you, but we do have plenty on the 30 other teams. We're going to get to our special guest here in a minute to talk about the biggest news story of the week, at least what I believe is the biggest news story of the week. We're going to start with my takeaways like we do every week, and that'll begin also with that big news story of the week, and that's the Dallas Cowboys just coming undone, coming apart at the seams, the biggest spot you can possibly imagine. Um, And it really felt like... The Cowboys were playing for their future here. They were playing for Jason Garrett's future. They were playing for Amari Cooper's future. Dak Prescott's going to be there, but obviously he's playing for a contract too. Um, you know, you got the sense going into that locker room post game, and I was down in Philly, that this team was playing for more than just a division title. They were playing to kind of keep the group that they had in that locker room together. Um, and now I think that, you know, barring – the Cowboys beating the Redskins next week, the Eagles losing to the Giants next week, and then, you know, things coming together for the Cowboys in the playoffs and the Cowboys winning a game or two when they get there. This is probably going to be it for Jason Garrett. 
and a new head coach would come in, whether that's Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer, or someone else, and changes would probably come on the roster. How do we get here? Well, we're going to talk about this with our guests in a minute, but I just tell you the one thing that I that, that you really, really noticed was when they had to have it in the big situations, the Cowboys looked disjointed. There was a third and one in the fourth quarter where they've got the most well-paid offensive line in football. Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, Tyron Smith, among the highest-paid players at the center guard and tackle positions, the highest-paid back in football, and Zeke Elliott. This is where all that investment pays off, where you can push the pile for a yard. And they line Dak Prescott up in the shotgun, roll him right, and throw it to a cover to Mari Cooper. Later in the quarter, third and four, Cooper's not on the field. They throw downfield to Michael Gallup. Like, just not even thinking about moving the chains. It's just put one up to Michael Gallup. After that, fourth and eight, season on the line. Cooper's not on the field. Randall Cobb's not on the field. Again, they're throwing a shot to Michael Gallup in the end zone. This felt like a team that didn't have something to fall back on when things got tough, that there wasn't something there. There wasn't a lever that they could pull. And that's on the coaches. I think the talent's there. Do we overrate the talent? Maybe a, maybe a little bit. But I think the talent, for the most part, is there in Dallas. And that they haven't developed an identity. And I like Jason Garrett, and I like Kellen Moore, and I like Chris Richard. But they haven't, that they haven't developed an identity is on the coaches. And here's the other thing. There's no resiliency. And... Jason Garrett's Cowboys teams in the past have shown some resiliency. There was no resiliency with this group. They were down at the half in this game a seventh time. They were down in the half in a game this year, 0-7 in those games. So they're either up on top of you and they run away with it or they fall behind and they lose the game. And so for all of those reasons, I think one of the five or six best rosters in the NFL – since they're at seven and eight going into week 16 or going into week 17. And it looks like barring a minor miracle, there are going to be major, major changes. Takeaway number two, the chiefs defense. And look, I know it's against Mitch Trubisky. I know it's the bears, the chiefs defense and Steve Spagnolo with some of the changes they've made. You know, obviously there were massive personnel changes in the offseason. D Ford, Justin Houston, Eric Berry gone. You got Frank Clark coming in from Seattle, Tyron Matthew coming in from Houston. And it took a while, but it really does look like Steve Spagnuolo's got that defense where he wants it now. Last five weeks, points allowed. 17-9-16-3-3. And that's top of the league production on the defensive side of the ball. If they can become if they can be what they were last year on offense, and I certainly think that's possible. They only scored 23 points last night, so it's not like they lit it up. But I still think they've got the capability of doing it. That was a really good Bears defense still. Maybe not what they were last year, but still really good Bears defense. If they can be what they were last year on offense or close to it, this is a scary team in the playoffs. And right now, it looks like we may be headed towards a Patriots-Chiefs game in Foxborough in the divisional round. And that takes us, brings us to takeaway number three. The Patriots offense really did come alive 
um, on 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 Saturday against Buffalo. And you know, I, I talked about having something to lean back on with the Cowboys. The Patriots didn't have that last year, and you may remember at the end of the year. They played Buffalo and the Jets. The Bills weren't very good last year, not close to what they are this year. The Jets were playing out the string under a coach they know, knew was going to get fired. And in those last two games, they found something in the running game, and they were able to ride it in the playoffs. And we're seeing that again now. And I think what you're seeing with the Patriots in Sony Michel getting the ball as much as he is now, in the Patriots – run pass breakdown on on Saturday they ran the ball 35 times through it 30, 30, 30 through it 33 times like what they were what they've been able to do looks a lot like what they were able to do last year which is our strength is on defense we're able to run the ball behind our offensive line and we can play a complementary game that way against the against the against the bills 35 carries, 143 yards. Against the Bengals the week before, 32 carries, 175 yards. And what that's allowed them to do now is they've built a play-action game around that. And if you watch a lot of what Tom Brady did, there was a lot of sort of sleight of hand, a lot of play-action. They're able to do a lot of different things in the passing game off the running game because the running game has been so effective. And that's why I think you saw Tom Brady come to life on Saturday against Buffalo. Very, very impressed with what I saw on Saturday. And if I'm another team, that sure felt like an uh-oh moment. If I'm another AFC contender, like that, like what I saw on Saturday, uh-oh. It looks like the Patriots have figured it out and figured it out at the same point they did last year. And that Patriots team steamrolled the Chargers in the divisional round last year, was able to go into Arrowhead and win. So – they're going to be a tough out. So those top three teams in the AFC, Baltimore, Kansas City, New England, I think are all ready to go for the playoffs. And let's hope we get that Patriots-Chiefs matchup in the divisional round and then one of the two going against Baltimore in the AFC Championship. Takeaway number four, I don't think that there's a team that's that took on more water in week 16. And maybe you didn't pay attention to it because it wasn't a marquee game. But I don't know that there's a team that took on more water in Week 16 than the Seattle Seahawks, who I think have played really well over the course of the year. Russell Wilson was my MVP halfway through the season. They had sort of covered up effectively some of the issues that they had early on. They were able to start building with a defensive line behind Jaron Reed and Jadevian Clowney. And... As we see happen sometimes, a few injuries in the wrong spots can sort of put you on the wrong path. They lose Dwayne Brown. He's going to have to have a knee. He's going to he's going to have knee surgery on Monday. When you listen to this, it'll already be done. He'll be out for at least a few weeks. That's a huge loss for them losing their left tackle. They already lost Rashad Penny. Now it looks like they've lost Chris Carson for the year at running back. They're talking about bringing Marshawn Lynch in. And so much of who the Seahawks are flows to that running game. So now you're going to be putting even more on Russell Wilson. And I don't know that the defense is as capable of carrying the team as it was five years ago. 
And so you're making it harder on your quarterback who has to carry the team. It's different than what we just talked about with New England. Because with New England, you're talking about a defense that can carry the day. I don't know that Seattle's defense can right now. And so the loss of Dwayne Brown, the loss of Chris Carson compounds the loss of Rashad Penny last week. And they lose to the Arizona Cardinals in convincing fashion, too, at home. The Seahawks, it's very easy. I think if you look at all the teams and you say, you look at them a little differently than you did two or three weeks ago. On the negative side of it, I think you've got the Seahawks, not to the, and it's, it's not even their fault. It's just bad injury luck, and you're taking on injuries in the wrong spots. Finally, takeaway number five. So we're going to hear a lot over the next few weeks about veteran quarterbacks that are coming up or veteran quarterbacks that could be on the trade market or veteran quarterbacks that could be moving for the first time in forever. Phillip Rivers, his deal is up. Tom Brady, his deal is up. Cam Newton potentially potentially could be out there on the trade market. Andy Dalton could be available. Marcus Mariota's up. Jameis Winston's up. you just got a lot of names that are floating around out there, and there could be significant movement on the veteran quarterback market. So here's what I would tell you right now about the situation that Rivers is in and Brady's in, because I think those two guys are sort of the – those two guys are the guys that – because I don't think Drew Brees is going anywhere. If he's going to play in 2020, it's going to be in New Orleans. I know that name's come up, but I I firmly believe he's not going anywhere. Rivers and Brady, I'm not 100% on them never playing in another place. Could I see Phillip Rivers going to the Tennessee Titans? Maybe. Could I see Brady replacing Rivers in Los Angeles? Maybe. Here's why I think it's more likely than not that that doesn't happen. Because I'm not sure that the teams that they're on are going to have better options, and I'm not sure that those guys personally are going to have better options. And so it's easy to sort of ruminate about all this in December. It's another thing to sit there in March – with a contract in front of you, it's got another team's name on it, and you're facing resetting your career, starting over again after having been one place the whole time, having to do things someone else's way, having to go into a new building, having to uproot your family or be away from your family for an extended period of time. It's Again, it's easy to talk about that in December. It's harder to do it. And so... Do I think Brady or Rivers is going to have a better option personally than what they have right now if you project it forward to 2020? Both are on teams that should contend in 2020. The Chargers stay healthy if the Patriots don't all get old all of a sudden at once because they have some age in the roster. They're, they're, they're both playing for teams that should be competing in 2020. They know the systems. They know the coaches. They know everything. It's as close as tur- to turnkey as it can get in the NFL for those two guys. And so – I certainly think that both those guys, the best option for them, will more likely than not be to stay where they're at. And for those teams, and you look at where the where the where the Chargers are. Like, what do you do if you've got a roster that's got a bunch of guys that are entering their prime or in the heart of their prime, and you can go right on down the down the list? Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, Del, uh, Darwin Derwin James, Hunter Henry. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Russell Okun sort of on the back nine, but he's there. You got all these guys that are in the prime of their careers. Do you really want to turn over the quarterback position? Same goes for New England. 
Do you turn that over to Jared Stidham? I think Bill would like the idea of maybe trying to make it, trying to get to the, the franchise to the next, the next era of quarterbacking there. But is there, but but is there a better option there for the Patriots or the Chargers? I don't know. And so to me, like you look at those two, it's going to be about options. I think after those two, we get a better idea. Well, with Cam, we're going to get a better idea when we know who the coach is. With Andy Dalton, sort of, I think it's going to come down to whether or not he's comfortable being the bridge guy because I think that would be a decent move for the Bengals, holding on to Andy Dalton and having him there as the bridge to uh, Joe Burrow, perhaps. So could have some quarterback movement, but I think that there's there's a decent chance at least that this, that this stuff all sorts itself out. And a lot of these guys are back where they were um, in 2019. All right. Right after this, we're going to get to our special guest. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. This is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you know have to do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or, like, put a sign in your yard, but... All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, now we're going to welcome in a friend of mine um, and a guy who I think is going to be able to give us some unique perspective on the Cowboys. He was their first-round pick in 2006, played for Bill Parcells and Wade Phillips there over four years in Dallas. Uh, and now he uh, does work for ESPN, does work for a 97 won the fan in Columbus. Welcome in, Bobby Carpenter. Carpenter, thanks for having me on. All right, so let's start Let's start here. Um, you know, I was in that locker room yesterday, and it seemed like they didn't have many answers. And you always hear how talented – and it feels like this is like sort of a recurring thing, going back to when you were playing. You always hear how much talent there is in the roster in Dallas. Um just from your perspective, watching last night, what do you think? I, like, what's missing? Because they had a really hard time explaining how you know you've got the team that blew out the Rams, you got the team that blew out these the same Eagles team two months ago, and then you have the team that shows up last night, and it's just I think it was hard for the, some of the players to connect the two. What do you see? Um, you know, like I guess when I watched the game, like. You know, last night I'm trying to figure out exactly what's the Dallas Cowboys' identity. Like, what are they good at? You know, what do they lean back on when things are going tough and, you know, they're trying to get drives going? Like, where do they go? You know, it's not to Zeke. You know, he got 13 touches last night, or 13 carries, rather. And, you know, all their wins, you look at correlation between him playing well and their wins. Like, those two, those two situations or those two circumstances are highly cor- correlated. You know, you look at Amari Cooper, well, you know, he's supposed to be the guy that beats him over the top and does a lot of things. He has four catches last night, and he's not in on critical downs. And you know, the argument can be made: one of the guys in the poly was, you know, he he had a chance to make some plays, especially on the third and one option. If you know uh, Tyron Smith gets a block, or the Tavon Austin beats his man over the top and he's wide open, and, and those things are are true. I guess I just look at it as like, who are your playmakers? What are they good at? And what do you define your team as? And I think that's part of the problem with this Cowboys team is you know they have a lot of talent. Like that, that's true. Like their offensive line. It was good. They've got a really talented running back, a good quarterback, a pretty good wide receiver. Their defense, you know, it can be really good at times. But when I watch it, I try to figure out, like, okay, this is a got-to-have-it situation where you need to pick up a first down or you need yards here. And I, I just I couldn't tell you what they were going to do. And that's not because they're unpredictable. It's just because I think they're inconsistent. I Like, how does that happen? <laughs> I mean, I know it's a simple question, but – I mean, you've gone through training camps with NFL teams. You've gone through seasons with NFL teams. How, how does that happen, that, that you don't develop an identity and you're sitting here in December and you're wondering what you're good at? Well, because I think when you build a roster to run the football and you have big offensive linemen, powerful guys that are going to get downhill and pound the football, you have a big, powerful back, and then you know your coaches come in and they – you know, decide, well, hey, we maybe need to throw a little bit more. We've got some talented wide receivers. We have a good young quarterback. And so you build a roster that doesn't necessarily fit with what you're trying to do playing and play out. And, like, I look at the Minnesota Vikings, which I look at a team that's kind of similar to the Cowboys talent-wise, 
Like, you know what the Minnesota Vikings are about. They're going to run the football. They're going to play good defense. They're going to throw play-action passes. They have great receivers, two pro, pro Bowl players. But, like, that's not what we want to do. We're going to use them in the play-action game, but we're not going to come out and try to throw it 40 to 45 times unless, you know, it's absolutely necessary. We're down by three scores. And you look at Dallas, like, there was a point in time. It's 17 to 9. They're down two scores. There's 10 and a half minutes to go. And they come out just firing the football. Like, that's the time to revert back to, like I said, what you're good at, what your team was built to do, and they just never got back. As a player, is it frustrating, like being in a situation like that where you know maybe the answers are right there for you, and it's just they just it, like like the coaches aren't leaning back on it? Yeah, I think, I think it is. Like, it's frustrating for me, like being a former player there and watching those guys and knowing some of them. Like, I know they want to be good. I know the guys are playing hard. But it's like you should know as a team – when you're uh, like when you're in a situation where you have to become a first down, you should have about two or three plays in your mind that you know like these are ones that'll work in this situation. Let's figure out what what we think they're going to do and what team we're playing. But like we have like a handful of plays that we think we're going to be able to utilize here to be able to move forward. So like, how is the challenge different in Dallas too? I mean, like there's that part of it also. And I, a couple of the guys said yesterday, it's like, you know, like there's so much expe- there's so much expected this year. And it was Demarcus Lawrence who actually said it to me. Like said, you know, I think sometimes we kind of play outside of ourselves, and there's just a different dynamic here. And so much was expected of this team, and you had Jason going into a contract year, which is rare that you have your head coach in a contract year, you have your quarterback in a contract year, you have your number one receiver, your number one corner in, in contract years. Does did you feel like playing in Dallas? All of that took on I don't know maybe like a little bit of a different life than it would other places. Yeah, well, it's magnified because of who you are and where you're at. Like, you're a Dallas Cowboy. You're going to have a lot of opportunities presented to yourself. It's like playing quarterback. Like, you're going to have a lot of things that you get that other players don't. Opportunities, the financial compensation, like, all of those things are going to be really good for you. However, there's going to be more criticism on you in the loss. There's going to be a bigger spotlight on you all the time. And so people are going to be constantly evaluating your performance. And, like, Jerry's built that brand in Dallas, and that's what people understand. And, like, so you go there knowing that. And is it fair? No, nah, maybe. I don't know. Like, but it's just part of the reality of the whole situation. And so you know, I go back my last year's in New England. Like, you walk in there, and you know, what's the mantra of the Patriots? Like, do your job. Don't do anybody else's job. Do your job. Do it really well. And do it consistently each and every day, each and every play. It's like, as much as that sounds like coach speak and as ridiculous as it can be, like, you watch two teams, and you see one that's more talented than the other, but the other one consistently outplays them. Well, I think that that, that really speaks for itself. Do you – all right, so you know Jason. So Jason was the OC, I believe, your last three years in Dallas, right? Yes, that's correct. Do you think, do you think Jason's a, a bad fit for the Cowboys? I think he's a great fit for what Jerry wants to do. Like, they have a really good relationship. Um, you know, Jason doesn't push back too much on, on uh, Jerry. And so, you know, they've done a good job in, in Jerry Stevens' defense of building a, a great roster. Um, you know, but, like, Jason, I don't, I don't think that he's, like, super confrontational when it comes to things. And I think that eventually has come back now to kind of bite him a little bit where like, there's, there's certain things that need to be said. Maybe there's things that need to be done. And I don't know if they're always handled in a manner that is as clean as, as what they should be. And like, I think that's when you go back to like a little bit of a loss of identity, like of like putting our foot down. This is what we are. This is what we're going to be good at. Like I go back to the Vikings with Mike Zimmer, cause he was a guy that was in Dallas with me and you've watched him, you know, they went through a little bit of identity crisis 
two years ago, and what did he do? We're going to get back to running the ball. I'm the head coach. That's what we do. And maybe it's throwing the ball. It doesn't have to be running, whatever it is. But like, you have to build a team that fits what you want to do. And I think there's a disconnect there. And I think part of it is because you have different ideas how the team's running. There really hasn't been like any type of coordination from a standpoint of input of, of, input of what we're going to do to be good at. So it has to be like, like so you, you're saying like it would be better if it was just like one voice, one guy who's got like sort of sets the organizational agenda instead of having like multiple people doing it. Well, no, that doesn't necessarily – it's not necessarily it because you look at other places, it works well where there's, you know, there's a GM and then there's a head coach, but they have an idea of what they want to do. And I just think that there is a little bit of a disconnect there when they've been building this offense and defense of what exactly they want to do and how exactly they want to operate. Do you think – I mean, I don't know, like, like – because I've always felt like I've always felt like Jason might run it a little differently if Jerry if he was working for somebody other than Jerry. You know what I'm saying? Like there was that part of it for me, like where I just I don't know. He came up under Saban, and you wonder if Jason can kind of run the whole thing the way he wants to run the whole thing because Jerry's there. And I think you saw it done. I think you saw it two different ways, right? When you were there, I mean, you had Parcells. Who I don't think anybody was going to tell Bill Parcells what to do, right? And then you had Wade, yeah. who was a little bit more of a get-along to get-along guy, right? Yeah. And and so I think, like you said, that, that may be true, and maybe that's why Jason took on to the job as long as he has. You know, I think Jerry really likes him and really respects him. I think he wants him to be good. But like you said, it, it, I think it's probably – there has to be hard conversations sometimes. I, I don't know if those, those conversations occur. Like, it, just watching the team, it doesn't necessarily seem like – they happen out there like the way things need to be run. Um, and that's like, you know, outside looking in on the situation. But I look at, you know, organizations that are really successful and how they operate, you know, regardless of who's making the decisions and how that like org structure looks, like you essentially have like a seamless voice from the top to the bottom. Did this feel like the end to you? Like that? Because it's sort of like when I was in the stadium last night and talking to players in that locker room, it just sort of felt like the end. You know, like it felt like, the organization was on the verge of a reset. Do you feel that way to you too? Um, you get that feeling a little bit, I guess, because that was a, you know, it was for Dallas. It was a chance to clinch the division and lock the playoffs off. Now, ironically, like Philly has to go to New York. Like yeah. the Giants played good football. Like in theory, like the Giants could win that game, and if Dallas takes care of business, they still back into the playoffs. Now, is that the way you want to do it? No. Like there's a much cleaner way. They had a much easier path. They chose not to take it. But, like, just the way they beat the Rams. Like, this is the team. Like, when things start going well and things click and they, they're doing playing the type of football the way they should, like, they ran the ball for 200-plus yards against the Rams, I think 263. Like, that's how, they, that's how they play well and that's how they win. And so, like, every fourth game or third game, it feels like you get a little bit of that, and then they kind of meander around, sometimes in a win, sometimes in a loss. You know, I think that this hurts a lot emotionally. Um but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're out of it. It's just going to be a difficult road, and they don't control their own destiny. I still think I don't I don't foresee them getting in. But if they do somehow, I still think Jerry's going to give Jason every opportunity to play his way into his next contract. And if he can win a game and potentially make the NFC Championship, I mean, I know that seems like incredibly long odds, but. I think Jerry would keep him, despite the fact that they would have gone eight and eight in the regular season. And you know why I think that? You know why I agree with you on that? Because I think Jerry views Jason almost like as his creation. So I think like Jason's yeah. Jason's failure is sort of 
Jerry, Jerry's failure, you know, like, and you were there in 2007. I was, I was covering the team right after that. And I remember like, they hired Jason before they hire Wade, right? Like, which is really unorthodox. They gave Jason the big raise after a year that put him above Wade for at least a little while from a salary standpoint. And I mean, they let him in the coaching meetings when he was still a player. So I just, there's part of that too, that makes me like, I don't know. I feel like with Jason, it's almost like Jerry views it as if Jason fails, then this like 20 year project I had of trying to build this great head coach for the Dallas Cowboys failed too. Yeah. I think that there is part of that because he's built a team for him. That's a good roster. I give Steven Jerry a ton of credit for that. And this is the first one that they've built wholly and independently. This isn't Jimmy. This isn't Bill. Like, this is Jerry and Steven, and then this is the coach that they selected, like you said, going all the way back to the late 90s when he was a player. And so they've nurtured him, they developed him, and Jerry desperately wants him to be the man. And so there's a big difference when, and people, like I try to explain this, like of looking for reasons to get rid of someone versus looking for reasons to keep him. And they're looking for reasons to keep Jason Garrett. And so like any spark and sign of life, and you saw it last week. Like Jerry was pumping his chest out. Like our guys got it done. We knew that they could. And yeah. so, like that's why he didn't fire him after the game yesterday, because it's like if you still have a chance to get it, I'm going to give you every last piece of rope, man, and hopefully you can do something with it. So it sounds like you like Jason, like you, you, you because you yeah, got. I, I mean, you didn't. He didn't coach you directly, right? Because he was the OC when you were there. But it sounds like you have like like you still believe like Jason can be a really good NFL head coach. Yeah, I like Jason Garrett. Like, I mean, on a personal level, I think he's a good guy. Um, I don't think that he's a bad head coach. I think that probably some of it, too, like, I think he's lost a little bit of his confidence, you know, going through this this situation where you're playing for your job, and then, you know, you start really fast, and then you struggle, and you can't, you know, win the big games, and, you know, like, your confidence gets tested. And then you start, you know, doing things like, when your owner says be more aggressive, and then the next game you come out and you go for it on a fourth and one from like your own 21-yard line, that's totally out of character for you. And so I think he's searching a little bit, but I like Jason on a personal level. Like, I think he's a good dude. Um, you know, I think he's grown as a head coach. I think there's a, still a work that needs to be done, but, you know, they, they've got to get some help. Like, and I don't know if that's him maybe like, taking over the play-calling duties for a game from Kellen Moore saying, like, listen, this is what we're doing on third down. This is what we're doing in the red zone. Like, and giving him more direct orders. But, like, I feel like he needs to probably take some more command of this thing because, you know, if they don't win, they're completely eliminated. And if they win, they need help. But, like, I'd rather go out on my own terms and do it my way. Yeah, and it's just weird because it feels like they've done they've made so many changes. I mean, going from, you know, it was like Kiffin to Marinelli to, and then now now Richard and, you know, like they, they bring in Linehan to be the play caller. And now Linehan's gone and Kelly Moore's in there. It's just – it feels like they they put so many band-aids on individual pro- problems. It's like they keep plugging these holes, and maybe it's gone a little sideways that way too. Yeah, I mean, they just get you, you get a little disjointed when you keep trying to figure some things out, and like you said, you keep spinning coaches in different places. And I don't know if that necessarily means it's the head coach's problem, but at least it's an organizational structure, and it starts there with the head coach of how things are set up, and like a clear edict of how we're going to play on each side of the football. All right, Bobby, I can't let you go without asking you what's going to happen on Saturday night in Arizona. My goodness. I mean, it's, <laughs> I've watched a decent amount of film on this game. I mean, Ohio State and Clemson are about as evenly matched as you're going to find. Um, you know, Clemson's a little bit weak, like weaker on the defensive line than they've been in years past, but that happens when you lose three guys in the top 18. Like, I think Ohio State will be able to run the ball on them a little bit, a little bit more than maybe people think. Uh, because of that, if they don't turn the football over and Justin Fields plays well, I think they can score points. 
and they match up pretty well on Clemson. They should be able to get after him a little bit up front with Chase Young. And the good part is, like, T. Higgins and Justin Ross are really good on the outside. But Ohio State's defensive backs, I think, have kind of been undersold. Like, they have three guys that could potentially be top 40, you know, corners at the, at the next level whenever they choose to come out. And I don't know if they, you, can, you can't really stop those guys, but if you can slow them down enough, and make enough plays here and there, I think that that might be a little bit of an edge to get like a 31-27 victory or something like that. You got to work all week because of this, because, because of the playoff game, being in Columbus? Yeah, man, but it's good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's worse things in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, that's Bobby Carpenter. You can catch him on ESPN. He's on Get Up regularly now. Also 97-1, the fan in Columbus. Hey, Merry Christmas, Bobby. I appreciate you coming out. My pleasure, Robert. Merry Christmas to you. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah I, yeah because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard he don't care about guarding he's gonna guard he's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the olympics <laughs> he's gonna guard and then on I'm top of it like that see that Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
All right, thanks to Bobby. He's always fantastic. Repeat guest for us. Um, we're going to jump into your questions now. You guys know how this works. Every week we go to the mailbag. Two ways to get to us. You can email me um, and get your questions in that way. BreerMailbag at gmail.com. That's my last name in mailbag at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 201-596-4346. We prefer you do that so we can hear your voice on the on the, on the the line here. That's 201-596-4346. Now I'm going to bring my producer, Shelby Royston, in. Shelby, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. All let's, right. Get, let's get to a question number one. From Andrew. As a UK listener and with the talk about sky judges, has the NFL ever talked to or would talk to the rugby union about how they use television match officials, review foul play during the games, and can flag anything they think the referee needs to be aware of? I'm going to have to look into this because I don't... Do you know how this works? It says the referee can then can review the footage and make the decision with advice from his TMO and on-field assistance with the conversation heard by the live TV audience so there is complete transparency in a game that has less natural stoppages than the NFL. So here's my deal like with this, right? Like we all have like me, you, we all have like the benefit of crystal clear HD television from 70 different angles every single play or from not 70, but 12 whatever, 10, 12 different angles on every single play. And I can be down the street from the stadium or I can be 3,000 miles from the stadium. doesn't matter. I have the benefit of that. How we aren't giving the referees the benefit of that is absolutely asinine. So if what you're talking about, what's the guy's name? Andrew. Andrew. So if what you're talking about, Andrew, is a system where we have someone, have an official with some actual power sitting in front of a TV screen and getting the same benefit that we all have at home, then I'm all for that. And I think the easiest thing to do is to give that guy some power, give that guy a direct line to the head referee, give that guy a shot to say, pick up the flag, drop the flag. I saw this. You might have missed this. We want to be able to get this right. So do X, Y, or Z. Why we haven't given the why we haven't given the officiating crews the benefit of something like that is baffling to me. Why the officiating crews or the individual officials would be against that is crazy to me. It would save so many problems. It would save the league so many problems. The PR nightmare that they deal with on like what feels like a weekly basis now over the way the games are officiated. The conflict now that they've got between the coaches and the officials, which is way worse than I can ever remember it being. It's just, just fix it. Just fix it. And to me, if you put an official up there and you give him some power, you give him a direct line down to the head referee, then you can actually, and the, you can actually say to him, like, hey, listen, if there's something you see and it's egregious, you buzz down to that head official, but you have 40 seconds to do it because that's what the play clock dictates. And if it's there and if it's egregious, you should be able to see it pretty quickly. So you buzz right down. We'll stop the game, and we'll make we'll we'll make the change that we need to make. I think you take you, if you do that, you can you can take the coaches' challenge system out of it. You can again give the officials the benefit of reviewing every single play, having a backstop against every single play. 
because so much of this is that we can see so much now. So much of this is that we have so many different angles now. And so the idea that we are not giving that advantage that all the rest of us have and being able to see the game a certain way, we're not giving that to the officials is absolutely crazy. Shelby, question number two. From Ryan. What are your thoughts on Mike McCarthy as an option in Cleveland if they move on from Freddie Kitchens? Is he the type of coach Baker Mayfield needs to maximize his potential given his experience and success with a temperamental perpetual chip on the shoulder QB? <laughs> and obviously that reference is to Aaron Rodgers. I I think if Mike is, and I like Mike as a head coach, um, Mike has been very open to analytics, which exists in the Browns organization because we've seen Paul D. Podesta does have some some power there, even though he doesn't live in, in Cleveland. Um, he does have some power there, and so I think there's some influence. I think Jimmy Haslam, the owner, likes that part of it. I also think that Mike McCarthy would have the ability to be tough on Baker Mayfield. The question is always going to be here, is John Dorsey willing to hire a strong head coach. And I think part of the reason why he didn't look at somebody like, say, Josh McDaniels last year, why he didn't maybe look at somebody like Matt Campbell, the Iowa State coach, who would have walked across hot coals to go back to Northeast Ohio and coach the local NFL team. The reason why he didn't look at guys like that seriously from is maybe because those guys were a little too strong. And maybe he had a little bit of, I guess you call it PTSD, from what happened with him in Kansas City with a strong head coach and Andy Reid. And so this is going to have to be about, if it's going to be Mike McCarthy, it's going to have to be about John Dorsey subjugating his ego and saying, I'm willing to take a little bit of a step back. I'm going to trust this guy. I'm going to give him the power to run things as he sees fit. And we're going to go forward with his vision. If you're not willing to do that, it sort of limits the guys that you can look at. And I think if you're not willing to do that, it probably puts Mike McCarthy outside of that group. Question number three, Shelby. From Steven, do you think the way the Dolphins' season has panned out is more or less successful than expected? They've been more competitive as the season has gone on, and the culture head coach situation has seemed positive. On the flip side, they likely won't get the first overall pick. Yeah, and that part, I think, stings a little bit. Um, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. And I know that there's this feeling that, like, well, you know, you need the number one overall pick to get your quarterback. I don't know that this is the year where there is one quarterback that is so far above everyone else that you're looking at and you're saying, man, I wish we were up there. I think Joe Burrow can be a really good player. Um, you know, there's the questions about him being a one-year guy. Tua's got a shot, but he's got the hip issue. He's got the ankle issue. We've been over this before. Quarterbacks who have injury history in college tend to keep getting hurt. I can go down the list. Sam Bradford in 2010, Jake Locker in 2011, Robert Griffin in 2012, uh, Deshaun Watson in 2017, Marcus Mariota in 2015, Carson Wentz in 2016. Guys who got hurt in college wound up getting hurt again. And so the injury thing is real. But, you know, he's a guy who's got some ability, obviously, and I think would be right there with Burrow and probably would be a little bit above Burrow to go first overall if – it weren't for the injuries. Then you got Justin Herbert, who's raw, who's going to take some work, who may need to sip for a little bit and relearn some things about the position. And so this isn't one of those years where you have a slam dunk, where, where there's a slam dunk number one overall pick. There is one in 2021, and that's Trevor Lawrence. And so I certainly could see some merit in a team like Miami saying, 
we're going to punt on the 2020 quarterback class. We're going to take the best player available. We're going to build the infrastructure up a little bit. We'll go get our quarterback in 2021, and he'll benefit from being in a place that's got stronger a stronger roster around him. I would not argue with the way that Brian Flores has handled anything. Um, I think he's been outstanding, and I said this earlier in the year. You're not going to give the coach of the year to a guy who's 4-11 and now, but – I think he's done as good a job as at least any of the first-year head coaches, and I think he's you can you can put him up against a lot of coaches, a lot of veteran coaches in the NFL. Um, you know, I I would watch what he's established here and sort of contrast it to what's happened in Buffalo, where Sean McDermott in his first year exceeded expectations. It made it harder for them to go and get a quarterback because they went nine and seven that first year. And they sort of fell out of the range where you could go and get one. And they had to trade up to go and get Josh Allen as a result. But the benefits of having built through that year have paid off big time for them. And they, they're in a situation now where, I mean, that team has got identity. I mean, we talked about identity earlier in the show a couple of times. That, that, that team's got more identity than it knows what to do with. So, uh, you know, like I would look at the example of Buffalo, a team that overachieved in a coach's first year. I think you're seeing the benefit of that now and how much buy-in they've got from their players and how the organization's walking in lockstep. I think Brian Flores is building something similar in Miami. Question number four, Shelby. We have a voicemail. Hey, Albert. It's Jeremy from Cincinnati. Hey, uh, so it looks like the Bengals uh, are potentially going to be drafting Joe Burrow first overall. Uh, based on all their needs, do you think that they should be going after Burrow or somebody that's ready now, like a Chase Young, that can dominate uh, from day one. Um, also, if they do draft Burrow, what are their chances of keeping Andy Dalton as a bridge quarterback? Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeremy. I would tell you – all right, so we got, we got to this, a little bit of this earlier in the show. I think Andy Dalton being a bridge quarterback is sort of going to be up to Andy Dalton. And I know it's like oversimplifying it, but some quarterbacks are comfortable with that, others aren't. It's worked out okay this year in New York with Eli Manning, who was a long-term, like sort of entrenched franchise guy there, and uh, he became the bridge to Daniel Jones, which I think was probably beneficial for for Daniel Jones getting to work with a guy who was in the same position with him years earlier. Um, certainly, the finances are fine. I mean, he's due to make seventeen point seven million dollars in twenty twenty. That's an affordable rate, especially when, you know, if you bring in a Joe Burrow, you're going to have a quarterback who's going to be on a rookie contract. So that part of your question, I think, is all going to come down to Andy Dalton's comfort level with doing that. Eli Manning did a good job in that role this year. I think Andy Dalton's got the temperament to handle that. Now, as for your the first part of your question, I do think this is going to come down to two players, Joe Burrow and Chase Young. Um, I think there's merit to taking either of those guys. I think what you have to do if you're the Bengals is you have to look at this through a two-year window. And this is what the Jets and the Browns did in 2017. And you can argue that they those teams should have sat there and taken Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes totally valid. But at the time, they sort of looked at two classes. They looked at the 17 class and the 18 class. And at the time, Baker Mayfield wasn't really considered that type of prospect, but they were evaluating Josh Allen and Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold against Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and Mitch Trubisky and decided to spend an extra year building it up and then drafting their quarterbacks in 2018. Now, the Jets wound up with Sam Darnold, of course, and the Browns wound up with Baker Mayfield. 
And because they did that, the Browns also have Miles Garrett in their roster, and the Jets wound up with Jamal Adams. And so, you know, you sort of see the merit in both. You can see, see the merit in each side of this. Maybe you just, you, you know, you may want to just go get your quarterback now, but there's also, you know, the idea that maybe you aren't positive that Joe Burrow's a long-term answer, that Joe Burrow's going to be a superstar, that Joe Burrow's ceiling is what you'd want the first overall pick ceiling to be. Or, you know, you're not comfortable with the fact that he's only done it for one year at this level. And then you look at Tua and you're you're leery about his injuries. I think the option for a team like Cincinnati that's like in this total rebuild now, it's it's there to just sit there and take Chase Young. You feel good about that. It's close to a sure thing as you're gonna get probably coming out. And then you you know, re- revisit the quarterback position again in twenty uh, in in twenty twenty one. I think it does make some sense. So I can see merit in both and I think that the answer to your question is and a long way to answer this, like the answer to your question is you sort of look at this as a two year snapshot when you're evaluating what to do in the draft of quarterback. Question number five, Shelby. From Tyler. How likely is it that Josh McDaniels leaves the Patriots at the end of the season? Which team would be most likely to hire him? I would give you two teams that I think he has his eyes on. Um, one would be Carolina, the other one would be Cleveland. I think there was a point in Josh's career where Cleveland would have been a non-starter for him. I think there was a point in his career where he sort of looked at that and said, well, you know, going home would be, and he's from Northeast Ohio for those that don't know, going home would be sort of a tough thing. Like going home, there's just like a lot going on and, you know, would I be able to focus on my job? Would it be a lot to deal with handling everything that's there plus what's, you know, obviously a very demanding job as an NFL head coach? I think as as he's gotten older, as his kids have gotten older, there's sort of this feeling now it'd be nice to have his kids around his grandparents, around their, around their grandparents. It'd be nice to have all of that family around. So I think sort of changed the mentality there a little bit. I do think that he likes Baker Mayfield. Obviously, that was reflected in the Patriots' interest in Baker Mayfield leading up to the 2018 draft. So that'd be one. And I've heard his name connected to the Panthers for, I would say, a good year and a half, two years now. And so I think that the possibility out there exists that he goes to Carolina and that he has the ability to change some things he couldn't change in Indianapolis, power over training and weight staffs and all that stuff that you guys out there probably don't care about but, are, but is important to, head, to, 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 uh, to coaches. So maybe you have that there, and then he brings an assistant GM with him, which they're going to be hiring that. Dave Tepper told me a couple of weeks ago the idea is going to be to bring in the head coach and then have him help hire the assistant GM, who I believe will be – groomed to be Marty Herney's successor. Maybe you bring somebody like Dave Ziegler, the pro director in New England, um, to Carolina. He gets groomed to be the next GM. He's another John Carroll guy, another one of these guys that came out of that small school in Ohio where you know Tom Telesco and Greg Roman and Chris Polian and uh, Josh McDaniels and Nick Casario and all these different guys played. You have like sort of a nice pairing there where Josh has a lot of say over the way things go and you've got a good young executive coming up that's got a long-standing relationship with him and knows exactly what he wants. Question number six, Shelby. One more voicemail. Okay. Aloha, TK from Hawaii again. So, have another question for you, sir. You mentioned executive of the year, and you don't even mention John Schneider and the job that he has done up in Seattle, making a team basically out of nothing this year, trading – 
basically a couple of backups for Jadavian Clowney and barely paying him anything this year. And the pickup of Diggs during the year was fantastic. Just saying, cast a wide net, sir, before you decide on your executive of the year. Wow, TK's coming strong with that. I uh, No, I'm with you. I mean, John Schneider's one of these guys who could probably be in the running for it every year, and he's done a really good job. I mean, I think just kind of like building that team and evolving that team as you go, you brought in Josh Gordon to sort of be uh, a like a stopgap on the fly, and obviously it didn't work out, but you brought him in on the fly. You brought in Jadevian Clowney. Uh, you know, like they're looking for an answer right now, potentially with Marshawn Lynch at running back. Uh, I do like what John Schneider's done, so I'm with you. Um, I don't know if I'd give it to him because there are some guys. Eric DaCosta, I think, would probably be mine right now. But Eric DaCosta, John Lynch deserves mention. Jeff Ireland never gets mentioned for what's happened in New Orleans, but I think he's somebody you would look at. Brian Gutekunst has done a really nice job putting that Packers roster together. Uh, you could even look at you know Brett Veach in Kansas City, who – has rebuilt that defense on the fly. This is one of those years where there's a lot of good candidates. Brandon Bean, you know, in Buffalo, what he's done. This is one of those years where there are a lot of good candidates. And certainly I think John Schneider is one of those guys who's in the mix, but because he's been in the mix so many times, you know, maybe voters go with the newer name. All right, I always appreciate you guys, especially this time of year when we're so busy and you guys are so loyal to what we do here. So we want to incorporate your feedback. As always, I want to give you the chance to get back to us what you think we can do better. You can get me on my social media with any of that. On my Twitter, at Albert Breer. On my Facebook, at Albert R. Breer. On my Instagram, at Albert underscore Breer. And we'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes. That helps people find us so we can grow all of this and grow what we've done with some of our recurring guests and some of the stuff that we're doing with the interaction with all of you guys through the mailbag and all of that. So if you leave us a review and a rating on iTunes, I know that that really helps. And if you do that, then you're looking at all of our podcasts, right? Because there's one podcast feed. You can get all the MMQB NFL podcasts on the MMQB NFL podcast feed. That means you get my show, you get Jenny and Connor's week side show, you get the Monday morning podcast, you get all of them. The gambling podcast is all in one feed. And you can also, if you're feeling froggy, you can you can go and when you're searching MMQB, you also find the news feed. That's where you guys can find your five-minute bite-size news reads. So it's a great way to catch up on what's happened in the NFL. You're coming out of work. You want to figure out what's happened over the course of the day while you were paying attention at work, right? Because I know you guys aren't in your computers looking this stuff up during work. Well, you know, you can get all of that on the MMQB uh, the MMQB NFL news feed. So those are the two feeds there. Subscribe to both. Download the podcasts off both. The MMQB NFL podcast, the MMQB news feed. Get us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows, we're there. Same time next week. Merry Christmas. I'll see you guys then. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
if you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.